Warning. The following presentation contains information that might contradict what you have previously heard, or believed to be true, about how the human body works, and contains material that is not suitable for closed-minded individuals. Enjoy! Let's take a look at the chemicals that we will be seeing in metabolism and the importance of those chemicals. When we're talking about chemicals, we're talking about the elements or the molecules that we need in order to live, and we need molecules to live. And so chemicals tend to have sometimes a bad connotation to them, and we're going to take a look at some of those bad connotations today and hopefully clarify any of the misconceptions that we might have leading to future discussions about metabolism. So what's metabolism? Well, metabolism is not about energy, even though it is kind of sometimes about energy. It's the chemical reactions that we have in the body. And what do we need in order to have chemical reactions? We need chemicals. Chemicals are the things that are used within the reactions of the body that allow us to have a normal functioning body. When we talk about these chemicals, we'll classify them in terms of how they're going to be involved within the chemical reactions. This is where we'll use words like reactants, and those are the molecules that are interacting with each other within the chemical reactions. Or we'll use the words like product, and product is looking at what molecules are coming out at the end of the reaction. In some of the metabolic reactions, we'll have things known as byproducts, and byproducts are really those molecules that form during the reaction but don't necessarily continue within the metabolism that we're looking at or don't seem to have any use within the metabolic processes and will go about being eliminated by the body. Now, just to confuse everybody even more, sometimes we'll use the same word to describe a reactant, a product, and a byproduct. And so you may hear or read about things known as substrates or metabolites, in, when we talk about substrates and metabolites, we're simply talking about reactants, products, and byproducts. Other terms that we need to be able to be aware of, and these include things like a metabolite, which is simply those things that are used in the metabolic process, a toxin, which is a metabolite that will interfere or may possibly stop metabolism, or a poison, and a poison is a metabolite that will stop metabolism. And in the cases of toxins and poisons, these are what's referred to as dose, that is how much is there, and duration, how long, I'm, how long am I being exposed to that metabolite in terms of its overall effect as being toxic or poisonous. Everything has the chance to be toxic based off of how much is there and how it's going to interfere with metabolism. The difference that we see between a toxin and a poison is that poisons tend to be lethal, whereas toxins tend not to be as lethal as poisons. Okay, okay, I understand. We're already a little too much here. So what's a chemical? And this is where we're going to kind of go back to our junior high and our high school science classes and for some of you into your college classes. And we're looking at the stuff in chemistry that we reference within the, peri within the periodic table of elements and then how those elements are going to interact with each other to form all of the bigger chemicals 
within the body. And so when we look at these chemicals and we look at these molecules, we start with the atoms, which is gonna be the building block of the molecules. And those atoms will start to interact with each other to form a little bit bigger molecule. A molecule is simply just multiple atoms put together. And then those molecules will start to interact with each other and build even bigger molecules, which we refer to as macromolecules, macro simply being bigger. And when we look at this, what we do is we look at, okay, what does the body need in order to survive? And this is where we look at atoms and molecules as the building blocks of everything that we have within our body. In this, we divide them into three distinct categories. And the three distinct categories we have are what's referred to as major, minor, and then trace. Major, minor, and trace is not about importance. It's about how much is there. And we usually start with the elements and then build from the elements into the molecules. And so our major, minor, and our trace elements is all about how much mass, how much amount is there. The majors we're gonna need in grams and kilograms per day. The minors we're gonna need in milligrams to grams per day. And then the trace we're gonna need in the very smallest amounts that we tend to measure, which are the micrograms per day. So what are the major ones? The major ones are gonna be oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and then we can toss in phosphorus. Phosphorus could also be classified in the minor elements, but the principal minor elements that we look at are calcium, potassium, sulfur, sodium, chloride, magnesium, and iron. And then the trace elements, boron, chromium, copper, fluorine, iodine, zinc, and manganese. If we go back and think about the listing of metabolites in terms of metabolite, toxin, poison, we tend not to have any type of toxicity issues when we look at our major elements. However, as we start getting into the minor and into the trace elements, if we start over consuming those elements, we then have to worry about toxic issues that come about. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in detail when we look at nutrition issues in subsequent talks. So those elements will start to interact with each other. The atoms will start interacting with each other, start building bigger things together. And those bigger things are, those, are the molecules. And molecules are simply just chemicals by another name. And so we have to look at a couple of ways in which we talk about things. Anytime we talk about sugars, we're talking about carbohydrates. And one of the easy ways to recognize if I'm looking at a sugar or a carbohydrate, if I'm like reading any of the nutrition labels, is to look for things that end in O-S-E, glucose, sucrose. Those are the sugars, cellulose. Sometimes we use different words to describe some of those sugars. So like cellulose is also referenced as fiber. And then we have fats. Fats we reference as lipids. In these, we can also call them fatty acids. And the reason why I call them fatty acids is because part of the molecule itself has what we call a acid end to it that's an end that will give away hydrogens to cause the pH 
of the molecule to be less than seven in a water environment. And then we have proteins. Proteins are also sometimes referenced as the amino acids. Amino acids will build into proteins and we need all of these within our normal diet in order to have normal metabolism. There are other molecules that we'll be consuming within our diet and those are things like nucleic acids. Now sometimes the nucleic acids can get some bad recognitions and some bad referencing, particularly when you discuss things like genetically modified foods, the GMOs that are there where the nucleic acids have been changed, the DNA, the genes of whatever food product we're looking at has been changed. But one of the things we have to remember when we look at all of these molecules when they come into the body is that all these molecules are going to get broken down into their base units, the smallest parts of the big molecules, in order for us to use these molecules to build things. And so one thing we have to remember is that our cells are great builders. They are great factories, put quotes around that in terms of an, of an analogy, that allows us to build things and build things and build things so that we're able to survive we're able to live. Other things that we're gonna take in are things like vitamins. Vitamins, just like with the trace elements, have kind of, and the minor elements, kind of have a, a maximum level for them, in which if we overconsume some of the vitamins, we might have toxic issues that can't come about. There are a lot of vitamins that are necessary for us to have the chemical reactions that are taking place. However, if we have too much of, of some of them, we can have issues within the functionality of tissues where they start acting like toxins. Other molecules that we're gonna need are things like ions, and we'll get to what ions are here in a second. Now, sometimes we get worried about chemicals because they're kind of sounds scary and they kind of sound scary because when we talk about molecules in a scientific sense we usually use the big science words and so just because something might have a scientific name doesn't necessarily mean it's something we have to be afraid of here's an example I like to use a lot dihydromonoxide so di two hydro is for hydrogen mon or mono, one, oxide, oxygen. And so if we look at it in terms of how we'd write this in our chemistry class, that would be H2O. But how would we talk about this in everyday life? Well, that's just water. So water's not scary. However, dihydromonoxide can sound kind of scary. And so once again, we start looking at these words within the chemical nature of metabolism. We just remember, big scary words aren't necessarily big scary words. They're just how we would explain it scientifically. And I understand that sometimes we don't do a great job explaining those big scientific words so that they're easily digested. Like water is a very easily digested word, but dihydromonoxide, not so much.
continuing on looking at these various types of molecules, one of the ways in which we look at molecules and how molecules will be able to interact with each other in terms of metabolic processes is how are the molecules shaped? In this case here, we have two distinct ways of looking at molecules. And those two ways of looking at molecules are things like whether it is organic or inorganic. Now, organic might have a connotation to it, a meaning to it, outside of the scientific conversation of metabolism. Like if you go to the store, you might see things that are organic or organically raised. Well, what does that mean in terms of the material that we're eating versus something that is not labeled as being organic? Well, organic in terms of our chemicals is just something that happens to have a carbon in it. And all of those molecules that we need to eat in our diet, the carbohydrates, the lipids, the proteins, the nucleic acids, those are all organic. And so to say that you are having an organic diet, well, every diet is an organic diet because we're eating organic molecules. Whereas an inorganic molecule is something that doesn't have carbon in it. And so what are the things that might be inorganic that we would have in our diet? Well, water. Water is an inorganic molecule. It doesn't have carbon in it. It's simply two hydrogens and one oxygen put together. Salts, the table salt, the sea salt, the pink Himalayan salt, the not so much salt because we have to watch how much sodium we have in our diet salt. Those are all inorganics. Now the other way that we can look at this organic and inorganic relationship is by the shape of the molecule, and those are sometimes referred to as polar and nonpolar. And what we're really talking about with polar and nonpolar is will that molecule or will that element or will that atom be able to dissolve in water? If it's able to dissolve in water, then it's polar. If it's not able to dissolve in water, then it's nonpolar. The other way to look at how the elements and how the atoms are gonna interact with each other is based off of how the atom is set up within the molecule. In this case here, we're gonna look at specific things known as ions. And in ions, what we have is we have atoms or molecules that don't have an equal number of electrons to their protons. And we have two distinct classifications here. And the two distinct classifications are referenced as cation, that is I have more protons than electrons. And these are things that are gonna be found in the first two columns of our periodic table that we reference to in our chemistry classes. Heading out to about the third column in our periodic table and in our transitional elements. And we'll see them when we look at references to them as having a little plus indicator next to the symbol for the element. The opposite of those are gonna be the anions. These are usually the last three columns heading into 
the noble gas column of the periodic table. And these are atoms that are going to have more electrons than they're going to have protons. And these are things like chloride and fluoride or chlorine and fluorine in the ion phase of the element. And so when we look at the periodic table, we can very easily see whether or not we're going to have a cation or an anion form from that atom or from that element. Based off of where they lay within the periodic table. And that's going to be very important because we need salts within our body. And the salts are going to give us the ions. And so when we look at salts, salts are nothing more than a cation and an anion stuck together. And we need those cations and those anions to help us out with where we're going to see water within the body. And how are we going to be able to control the making of some metabolites that might change the pH of our body. And once again, we'll talk a little bit more about pH of the body later on in a different talk. But all of those are very important as it relates to the anions that we have and the cations that we have within the body. And so that's the general gist of chemicals. But if we take a step back and start thinking about, wait, I'm reading all these big scary stories in the news about different types of chemicals. Well, there's a couple of things that we have to remember about, the, about these big scary stories. Is that just because it might have an effect in one form doesn't mean it's going to have the same effect in all of its forms. So once again, we go back into the periodic table and we have this cluster of elements that are usually referenced as being heavy metals. And one of the big scary, put quotes around big scary, heavy metal that's out there is mercury. And mercury got kind of this big scary story to it because we would see mercury within some of the food products that we were eating. And we used to use mercury as a stabilizing agent in some of the vaccines that we would give people. But they're different types of mercury. The first type of mercury, the mercury that we would see within fish and within some of the living organisms that we might be eating, is what's referred to as methylmercury. Methylmercury is the neurotoxin. It's the toxic form of mercury that will accumulate within the stuff that we eat. Whereas as mercury enters one thing, it's gonna get eaten by something else and that something else will start to compile and add up all of the different mercury that's being eaten into its tissues. And then we would eat it and we would get that mercury. And that's where we start hearing about the mercury poisoning issues that might come about. But that's different than the mercury that we, would see with, that we used to see within the vaccines. And that is what's referred to as ethyl mercury. And ethylmercury does not accumulate within the body. In fact, our liver does a very good job getting rid of that form of mercury. And because it's able to get be eliminated, 
it's not the neurotoxin that we think about when we hear about mercury. There's also a lot of studies that are out there that have been done in a different animal than humans. One happens to be a lot of studies are done with rodents, mice and rats. Other studies are done within cells and within, within cell cultures. There's a recent study that's out there that says that the alternate type of sugar, the sugar substitutes, might have some sort of effect on the DNA within cells. Well, that might be true, but it might not be true because we haven't looked at it in terms of humans. We've only looked at it in terms of cells and looked at it in terms of rodents. And what we have to remember is that humans are more than just one cell. What happens in one cell is what happens in one cell, and it may not happen in that same cell if we put it in other cells together in what's called a tissue. And those tissues might act like a tissue until we put it in with other tissues to make the organs. And then the organs might function in one way until we decide to stick organs together to make a system. And all of those systems within our body are all going to function slightly different when they have to work with each other in order for us to be able to survive. And so just because it's happening in one condition doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen in all of the conditions. And more importantly, humans are definitely not mice or rats. And our physiology might be slightly different than the rat and or the mice physiology. And so even though we're seeing distinct types of metabolism taking place in some organisms, doesn't necessarily mean we're going to see that same type of physiology taking place in our body. So let's put this all together. What can we remember or what should we take home as it relates to understanding about chemicals and metabolism? And once again, this is just a stepping stone to other discussions on this topic. So we may use lots of big words when discussing chemicals, but big words shouldn't automatically mean scary thing or dangerous thing. Scientists tend to use scientific words and sometimes those scientific words can scare people. And we just have to remember that we're not trying to scare you. We're simply trying to communicate in a way that all scientists know exactly what we're talking about. Chemicals are necessary for living and everything we eat is made of chemicals. And so you can't have a chemical free diet because if you have a chemical free diet, then you're not eating. Toxins and poisons are dose and duration dependent effects. Just because a molecule has one effect in one condition doesn't mean it's going to have the same effect in all conditions. To have a metabolic impact, that chemical has to either act like a hormone or it has to alter the type and rate of chemical reactions taking place in the cell. When you hear these stories out in the news, you have to be willing to ask questions. If a news report says that a chemical is harmful, look into what model was used. How was the research done? And compare what was being reported in the scientific studies to what can and does happen within the human body. And remember, 
humans are more than just one cell. And the way in which cells interact with other cells is going to be dependent upon how all of the cells and tissues and organs and organ systems are put together so that the organism is able to survive. And if we're reading about studies done in rodents or in other animals, we've got to remember that humans are not rodents. Humans are not other animals. Humans are humans. And just because it's an issue for that rodent or that other animal doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the same thing for humans. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you found this to be a little informative, raised some questions for you, and stay tuned for more discussions on the topic of metabolism in the near future.